0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. COVID-19 dominating the discussion in all the different iterations. Uh, It has an economic impact. We'll unpack some of the things that were announced earlier today. Well, they were announced uh, a couple of weeks ago, but put into place today. They kicked in. Overwhelming response. uh, About 250,000 Canadians have successfully applied, and uh, that's a good start and many will get their money in three to five days, and uh, if you're getting it by snail mail, it'll take about 10, but this is the Canadian Emergency Relief Benefit. Uh, goodness knows we can all use relief in different ways, shapes, and forms, but uh, the sooner we actually uh, adhere to all of the recommendations for social distancing and, uh, well, even the wearing of masks now that Dr. Tam is sort of reversed policy on that. By the way, in Indonesia, that is mandated to do. You got to wear a mask. Uh, People following the rules uh, perhaps will flatten the curve. In some senses, they're already starting to see it happening, even in New York State, which might explain the Dow uh, went up 1,600 points today. Markets were on rocket fuel, so they're just anticipating good news or maybe light at the end of the tunnel. On that front, the true light at the end of the tunnel is some kind of antibody uh antiviral treatment or a vaccine and where we stand on that is the first order of business into hour three before we get to our panel and topics worthy of discussion we've been joined on the line by dr samira mubareka an infectious diseases uh, physician and microbiologist at sunnybrook here in town dr mubareka i hope hope i'm pronouncing that right am i absolutely thank you john i appreciate you joining us uh and i know that you've been working on uh trying to I guess get to uh the very root of the covid nineteen virus uh, I know the uh the research was sort of uh groundbreaking announced last month maybe you can just bring us up to date on uh what you found at that time and where we stand with all of that
1: so the key with what happened last month is not so much a new finding but um a development in the sense that we're, we were able to isolate the virus, which is a key tool in terms of developing what we call medical countermeasures. So medical countermeasures are things like vaccines and antivirals and diagnostics. And of course, our group alone is not going to be doing all of that. But for the other researchers that you know are going to be contributing to this work, we now have the virus in hand so that we can actually test uh, whatever compound or vaccine or diagnostic test against, without without the virus itself, it's very, very difficult. You can only take the work so far. So this way we can actually develop systems that will enable people to um, test whatever it is that they are, have been working on, be it, again, a vaccine or an antiviral or a diagnostic test to determine, you know, how effective it might be and whether it merits going on to the next step, which would be more... Uh, in the clinical realm.
0: Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, all of the uh, processes that are involved, uh, a lot of people are kind of quizzical. Why does it take so long to develop a vaccine if uh, you've already arrived at a state where you can sort of drill down on its components, the components of the virus? uh, Why does it take so long?
1: So there are a couple of reasons and you can kind of divide them into two major uh, streams. One is, does it work? Um, just because you can raise an antibody against a protein doesn't necessarily mean that that antibody will be protective. It may do nothing. um, It may do harm, hopefully not, or it may actually work. So before you even consider uh, taking it into humans, you have to show all of those things. And then the second stream really focuses on not doing harm. So safety, lack of toxicity, all of those things need to be shown experimentally in the lab before you would even consider taking it to the next step. And all of those tests you need to repeat, not just with a single virus or a single cell line or system, but with multiple viruses, multiple cell lines, you need to be quite thorough uh, before it can go to the next step. And then there are multiple um phases before something can actually be rolled out to the public so just getting through all those clinical phases all those clinical trials will take time to recruit to test to analyze and let's say if you're fortunate enough that your candidate works then you're faced with the manufacturing uh, challenges so that's a whole other system now hopefully for the most part a lot of these things can be set up in parallel and not so much in tandem but you know the manufacturing and distribution would be a whole other thing that would need to be rolled out and alongside all of this in parallel are the regulatory checkpoints that have to be met again you know you you don't want to rush something at the expense of of safety obviously a lot of these checkpoints and the timelines have been compressed for this there's no question that this is going much faster than it normally would but you really can't cut corners
0: Again with Dr. Samira Mubareka at Sunnybrook. Uh, She is an infectious diseases physician. Let me ask you how this would work though. I mean, is whatever we would develop by way of a vaccine, uh, does it attack the virus and deconstruct that or does it just sort of serve as a bulwark against uh, the virus being able to penetrate cells and do their damage?
1: Yeah, so it's more the latter. We all have immune systems, um, and those cells are really designed. they evolve to protect us from from pathogens, so b- bacteria, viruses, fungi. If a person is vaccinated, it means that their immune system has already been alerted to a potential um, virus, for example. we'll take that as a, as the most obvious example here. So let's say you vaccinate someone for SARS coronavirus and hopefully the vaccine works really well. And your 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 own host cells will make antibodies against that virus. So when you actually encounter the virus for real, you already have, um, I guess, you're already pre-armed to defend yourself. Uh, so it's a way of using the host immune system, bolstering it in a very specific way against that virus to ultimately protect... Um, Uh, to protect people from infection.
0: Dr. Mubareka. then, what do you make of this uh, blood transfusion therapy that's being talked of? People who have come through successfully uh, have shed the virus, they've survived, uh, they obviously then have the antibodies in their system, their blood is then the plasma I guess is being used to uh, be injected into recipients uh, as a way of transferring the antibodies That seems like a first line of defense in certain cases. Uh, What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, so you're exactly right. It's, It's something that we call passive immunity. So it's not that your own cells are making the antibody. You're giving someone the antibody someone else made. Um, and the hope is that those antibodies will be protective. So, of course, one of the first things we need to do is test this properly in, in clinical trials. And um, that's going to be essential and, and support for those kinds of initiatives will be essential. We, I know that there have been smaller theories that have shown that it might be helpful. But obviously, as you roll it out into a broader population, a we need to ensure that it's safe. B we need to ensure that it's effective. So it's it's a very reasonable approach. Um, obviously, it can be resource intensive. It's it's not uh, you know having to uh, get donors do all the safety testing because obviously you need to rule out any possibility of any other infections coming along with it and then pooling it and distributing it. But this is something that is very possible. There are systems in place to enable this. We need to be able to apply it for this particular situation. So again, a lot of these a lot of these options are not mutually exclusive. We need to do all of the above. We need to develop vaccines while we also develop passive immunotherapy as well as antivirals.
0: You know, when you talk about uh, the immune system as well, I've heard confirm or deny that really how this virus works, it uh, triggers like a a hyper immunoresponse response in the lungs. And that's really where the damage occurs. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's not uncommon for a lot of different viruses, and actually for a lot of different bacteria or bacterial components. Sometimes you can actually clear the virus, and and what you end up with um, in terms of disease is almost bystander damage from the from the host or the human's response. Um, it might be. Um, non-specific, but people are also looking into ways to possibly modulate that as well. But the first thing we need to do before we can do that is really understand exactly what is the immune response uh, in people who've been infected. And of course, as humans, we differ significantly from one individual to another. So again, we're talking about pretty large-scale studies to look at human response, starting with some very simple things like just serology and antibody production to other more kind of complex uh, cell responses. So if we, if we start to understand that, we understand why some people with severe disease, how they differ in their immune response from people with less severe disease, that could be really, really helpful in terms of then targeting, how, targeting the immune system to improve outcomes. So a lot of it does boil on to, boil down to ongoing support and, and, and science.
0: I'm kind of curious too about uh, maybe the progression of the disease, and uh, I, I know it's speculative, but uh, case in point, when you've got Boris Johnson, the you know the, the mm. Prime Minister of the UK, mild symptoms uh, initially, tested positive, goes into self quarantine. Ten days later, takes a turn for the worse. He's on in ICU now. I'm assuming on a ventilator how does it go from uh, mild and it takes that time span? I mean we're watching this and uh, I've heard cases where people suddenly it goes south and next thing you know it's all over. What what goes on then?
1: Yeah that's actually a pattern that we've been noticing as well where people are coming in not day one two or three of symptoms those tend to be mild but maybe day seven eight nine ten of symptoms Um, just unrelenting and then a a progressive um, deterioration which with or without recovery from there so again that does suggest that it's an immune response or immune modulated that that's what's going on um, but it's really hard to to be certain again is it because of a particular viral determinant is it the type of virus is that why or is it probably because of a particular post for whatever reason one person even the same age same demographic will respond differently and again humans are so variable from one individual to the next and unless we actually do wide broad-scale studies to determine what what was different about that individual um i can't remember who it was but there was a, a colleague of boris johnson's who, who also was uh around the same age who had the same um uh infection and but his i think he it was his deputy mild. health minister
0: i think it was his deputy so, health he. minister yeah
1: that's right, and he recovered. So why? What is the difference between... Now, I think in some cases there might be underlying um, uh, sort of pre-existing lung disease or heart disease in some individuals, but there are also other cases where that's not, that's not the obvious answer. Something else is going on. And we know so little about this virus. This is so new to us now. Um That unless we do these studies going forward, we really won't understand, even with some some viruses that we're very familiar with if we always take the opportunity to throw in our old friend influenza virus, we don't completely understand why some people um who otherwise are relatively well uh end up with far worse outcomes than than um you know their peers that seem to otherwise be very similar from a demographic and Um, baseline health perspective so there has to be some kind of contribution from the host Um, obviously with some strains with influenza virus we know that there's definitely a contribution from the virus some some strains are a little nastier than others but for this particular virus because it's so new we don't understand all of those factors yet but we will um there's a lot going on now um again because of all the the tools and reagents that are being developed and shared uh we're far we're, we have a far better understanding now than we did even a month ago but we still have a long way to go
0: needless to say uh yeah there's a whole lot of information that we're uh, gleaning from this uh, nasty virus and i appreciate your updating us and uh, informing us here as far as uh we can understand in layperson's terms, Dr. Samira Mubareka, infectious diseases physician and microbiologist at Sunnybrook. Really appreciate your time and uh, continued good work.
1: Thank you so much, John. All the best.
0: Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.